coil. I'm still really enjoying being a, a grandfather. What an awesome thing. I went to pick up Atticus yesterday and he learned something new. I was, I was sitting there and all of a sudden I noticed the little rascal was winking at me. Got that one eye going, I thought, oh, is he? And you know, the truth of the matter is, though, this toddler thing, you know, he's not two yet, but he is so active that I am just old. <laughs> trying to chase him around, and he, you know, and I figured out something. Our house is his toy box. Everything he can open, he, it's mine. There's a toy in there. A cabinet, a drawer, anything he can get into, and he's full throttle. He's on the moon. <laughs> and uh, that's easy to see. And unfortunately, my move wears out quick. And matter of fact, Cindy was up really late with him, and I just confess, I just conk out early. I just can't. I don't have stamina. You know, trying to trying to keep up with him. But the truth of the matter is, although it's tiring. <clears throat> Chasing him around, there's no right room to be. Because when he gives you that little toothy grin, you know what I'm talking about. Wow, melts your heart, fills you up in a good way. And you know, I thought about that in regard to our faith. It's out of this series, The Mission Mindset. And, and sometimes, we can get so busy and we're on the move, but when we're following God, and even though it may be tiring, there's that little blessing that comes along the way where we're reminded, this is good. This is what fills my heart. This is what fills me up. And we're, we're looking at Colossians 4, first six verses this morning as we look about in our faith, being on the move. Mission mindset. So I ask you to stand in God's honor uh, when you find that Colossians 4. As I read aloud those first six verses. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful, thankful. And pray for us too that God may open the door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Father, we desperately need you. We always have. Sometimes we're not tuned into that. But Lord, we confess that afresh this morning. As we have come to worship you through song and prayer and giving, Father, through your word uh, and all the other ways, it's you that we have come to meet. And I just pray, Father, that you might meet us, not because... We deserve your presence, not because uh, you are required or obligated, but because you have told us in your word that you love us, Lord. 
seek us. Wow. May we, in turn, look your direction and seek you. And, Father, may we be reminded that the mission mindset is just the natural part of loving you and following you. In Jesus' name we pray. Six truths through here that correspond with being on the move. And the first one is to pray faithfully. Notice uh, verse 2, he says, devote yourselves. The Greek word devote literally means be busy about. The picture here is to pray faithfully with a deep heart and be busy about it. Not just a simple prayer before you eat. Not just a simple prayer before you go to bed. Not just one simple sentence when you wake up. Like a little boy who got so tired at night before he went to sleep, he finally just wrote on a piece of paper, taped it on the ceiling, and said, God bless the whole world. So he could just be done with it. God wants us to pray with a heart that's honest and open and conversational so we may hear and listen to Him. And I love what Oswald Chambers said so many years ago. He said, prayer does not prepare us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Because what we need more than anything is to be in tune with God. Because what we can do, it is limited. But what God can do is without boundaries. And so he wants us to be tuned in and plugged into him. R.A. Torrey, in one of his books, he was a pastor at Moody Bible Church and started Moody Bible College, or was in Moody Bible College and was greatly used. Torrey had wrote 10 reasons to pray. He said, because prayer is God's way, for us to obtain what we need. Because the apostles considered prayer a priority. Because prayer had a prominent place in the earthly life of Christ. Because prayer is the present ministry of our Lord since he's interceding for us now. Because prayer is the means to receive mercy from God and help in time of need. Because prayer is the means of obtaining the fullness of God's joy. Because prayer with thanksgiving is the means of obtaining freedom from anxiety and peace which passes understanding. Because prayer is the means... By which we are to keep watchful and alert. Because prayer is used by God to promote our spiritual growth, bring power into our work, lead others to faith in Christ, and bring all other blessings to Christ's church. Because there is a devil, and prayer is the God-appointed means of resisting him. And you just take a moment and let some of that sink in. Man, why shouldn't we be people of prayer? Because it is him that is needed. We are His tools, His workmanship, His instruments, but He's the master worker that, that's in charge. And for, as a matter of fact, if you look at Tori's testimony, when he went to Yale University to study, he became overwhelmed with the fact that among his parents, his life was a lie. He came from a family that loved Jesus wholeheartedly. He didn't love Jesus. It was all about him. It was all about Reuben Torrey. And, and he strayed away from God. And he became under conviction. And he also became very disillusioned. To the point where one night at Yale University. He slipped into the bathroom to try to find one of those straight razors. 
that he used to shave, and his plan was he was going to cut his wrists. And while he was looking, he experienced his great need to drop to his knees in prayer, which he did. And he became broken, and he began to cry out to God. But what R.A. Torrey didn't know was that that same moment in the middle of the night, his mother at her house was on her knees. And she was crying out to God. Lord, I know Reuben needs you. Save him, God. Transform him through the power of the cross, through your word. Father, raise him to spiritual life. <laughs> and under that conviction, God would do that work. And change and transform his whole life. And God would go on to use him. Prayer is vital. Secondly, think gratefully. Prayer isn't complaining about our world. Tough times come, and it's easy to be a grower. But God calls us to see the blessings. I love that story. You know, when you're in the hot water, what comes out shows us what's inside. And you guys have heard it about the illustration of where they boiled an egg, carrot, and coffee. And the carrot started out, it was hard. But it was placed in the water for an extended period of time. It became mushy. And so the picture there is, you know, those tough times that come upon us, they can crush us and cause us to be bitter over what happened in the past and never get over that story and miss his story. And then secondly, there is the egg. It starts out with that soft shell that's thin that protects the liquid inside. But man, when it's bowl for a period of time, it becomes hard. And there are those that are just hard. The tough times that they no longer want to listen to God. They close their hearts and their ears. And then there's the coffee that when the ground coffee is placed in that boiling water, it becomes a sweet aroma. It becomes something that is enjoyed by others. And that's the kind of work God wants to do in our lives. Matter of fact, Paul wrote this in prison. You think, man, this is not a place to be grateful. And yet, that is exactly where God would bring out this think gratefully in the heart of his servant. Third, cultivate dependency. Look at verse 3 here. He says, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Many scholars believe this mystery is the depth of the love of God that's shown forth in the gospel. That one message that is our call and it is that message of hope that has always been so desperately needed in this world of chaos. That there's a God that loves us so much that he sent his one and only son. That gospel that is that message that is to go forth from our lips and from our lives on a continual basis. And that we must depend upon him. You know, he said we walk or we live by faith, not by sight. We need him to guide us and we need him to lead us. Uh, one author wrote about a little boy named Gil. And Gil was in Royal Ambassadors. 
And after he eight years old, only been there a short time, and he got some instructions, they had to build a little race car. And they would have these uh, race car races made out of wood, these little race cars, and uh, made me think years ago, church that we were in, one of our sons, God help me, you guys know I am not much of a workman, tried to put together one of those little cars. But anyway, it became evident when the day rose that everybody else had had help except Gil. His father was not in the picture, so his mother took the instructions and she tried to help Gil, but she didn't know anything about woodworking. And so it came time to show up. His car was, you know, it wobbled a little bit and it wasn't quite the even, you know. And But anyway, he painted it blue and he named it Blue Lightning. And so when it came time for the Pinewood Derby, this lopsided little car, Blue Lightning, amazingly enough, started winning races to everyone's surprise. Until it came down to the last race. And Gil had asked the leader, do, do you mind if I just have a moment to stop and to pray? Sure. So everybody got quiet. No Gil closed his eyes, silently said a little prayer. And then to everyone's shock, blue lightning won. And, and so this leader, he said, that is amazing. He said, isn't it great that God answered your prayer? That he came through for you. Isn't that awesome? That he heard your prayer that you won. And he said, sir, that's not what I prayed. I asked God to help me not cry so much when I lose. What a great question. God, help me not to always be the winner, but to be the one who lives in grace. But to be the one who does not miss you in what is around me. To be dependent upon you. To not only proclaim a message, but to be the message of Jesus Christ. See, that's how Paul's praying. He wasn't praying necessarily, God, that these chains may be removed from me. That I'll be out of prison, but that I will be yours in prison or out of prison. Teach me how not to cry so much when I apparently lose. Number four, behave wisely. Notice our text in verse four. He says, pray that I may proclaim it as clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward He's speaking here about those who are not part of the community of faith in Jesus Christ. Those, uh, according to church lingo, who are lost. What's it mean to be lost? They don't understand that in their own strength, in their own power, in their own gifts, in their own ability, there's not enough there. They need a hero. To come in and to rescue them. See, that's what happens with us. We realize that although I drink, you know, when I was a little kid, I'd have these nightmares. You know what I do? This is almost embarrassing. I like comic books and superheroes, so I don't drink. I was a superhero. And when this bad stuff happened, 
here comes another alter ego for Spider-Man or Batman or whoever it was. It was me. We all have those kind of dreams. But let me tell you, here it. It's not me and it's not you. It is Jesus Christ who comes into the picture to rescue us. And we are to conduct ourselves as people who are aware of the fact it is Christ. The good that I know and that I have and that I've experienced and that I know is because of Christ. And that's the way I want to act around outsiders and insiders for that matter. That I'm the same outside of church as I am inside of church. You think about it. These people in the early church at Colossae, they had no church building to meet in. They had no printed New Testaments. They had no gospel tracts. They had no schools. They had no missions organization, budget, or paid staff. But what they long for is just the opportunities. Those divine appointments. God, to be where you want me to be and to be in tune with you so that I'll say what I need to say. That, that would, and that's still true today. It's not how slick we are. It, it's that we're connected to Him. And, and so that when we're out there, He's in here and flowing from us to them. That, that is what is so needed that the Holy Spirit is working. Number five, maximize our opportunity. Notice in the second part of verse five, he says, make the most of every opportunity. And the word picture there in the Greek is to be able to get the great deal of the marketplace and to be passionate about that. I couldn't help but think about you know, the day after Thanksgiving. I've never been bold enough to show up at Walmart or Target because I've heard stories of where it's almost like a stampede. People come in there, man, I'm scared I might end up at the bottom of the floor, you know. People want that item and they're going to get that item and there's a passionate, they some of them, you know, I've heard crazy stories. People came out overnight because they want that TV deal or whatever it is. They want to charge in there. The idea here is there is a passion. There is a mission, and I want to be a part of it. God, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss what you have for me. I don't want us as a church to miss what he has for us. That, that sense of urgency. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, For a wide door of effective service has opened to me. And, and then he goes down another place. He says, I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when the door was open to me in the Lord, I went on to Macedonia. He opened a different door. And he's still in that process of those divine appointments, opening those doors, and that's what he wants to do. He wants us to be in a position where we're ready to walk through the doors, where we're ready to walk to the doors, where we're ready to hear the Master guide our steps, and our words. And then one last one. To communicate graciously. Look at verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Seasoned with salt. So that you may know how to answer everyone. 
There's a Middle English word that expresses this well. It's a word called fame. And it comes from the Latin word fanum. And the word fame is a word um, that was used to describe a cathedral or a church. And so later from that was the prefix pro added. That means out in front of. And so you put the two together. Fame, you have a cathedral. And pro, you have in front of or outside of. You put two together in front of the cathedral or outside of the cathedral. And that's from which we get our word profanity. It is language not to occur within the church, but outside of the church or in front of the doors of the church. And the picture here is words that you certainly wouldn't use in a place that is sacred, a place that is holy, a place where there is an altar, where God shows up and He says, come and be honest before me that you might have your sins forgiven so that you might know what it is to walk in purity before me. You wouldn't do that in this place. He said, don't let your words be out of the cathedral, out of the sanctuary, out of the place of God, because we are never out of the presence of God. And so our words need to bring honor to God. What we say inside should be said outside. It should mark our lives regardless of our location. It should be who we are in Christ. Words that are always full of grace. Secondly, notice uh, there to be seasoned with salt. You see, Paul, he had to talk to many churches that had their issues. Why? Because all God's children got issues. Right? We all do. He talks about people who were divisive, who were argumentative, who were sinful, and broken in a number of ways. He writes in one place, For I am afraid when I come there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, disturbances. He writes that to the church, Corinth. And to this church, he says, Man, I want you guys to be winsome, full of grace. How does that look? Well, regardless of the storm that's happening in your neighbor's life, or your co-worker's life, or your friend's life, instead of hammering their part of the storm and why they're screwed up, it is saying, there's some hope here. Let me tell you about this hope. God loves you. Regardless of where you are, He loves you without limits. Unconditional. And to find those ways where you're always talking about that grace because that grace always goes to the cross. Always. So always be ready to say, hey, God loves you and this is how much. And, and to be able to communicate that. He said season with salt. And, and of course we know about the different uses of salt that it's a preservative and man in a culture that of course is going crazy. We need people that have a foundation this is how you should live. This is what matters. 
this is not negotiable. We need that. That's salt, seasoned with salt. But it's also about purity. Salt's a picture of, of purity that, I, you know, I, I'm going to stand with God regardless of who's with me. And it's not to knock you down. It's that I want to be raised with Him. That is the, the purpose of that. And as you look through history, uh, several examples. Marco Polo in the 13th century, he found out the Tibetans used compressed salt cakes um, for money. Uh, civilizations grew up around salt mines. The first highway built in Rome was actually known as the Road of Salt, the Via Salaria. Um, salt was, of course, traded for gold. It was very, very valuable being used in the bartering system, even in the scriptures. You know, the scriptures even speak about a sacrifice of salt. I thought this was interesting. In Leviticus 2.13, as it's making reference to to David and God's hand upon him, there is mention of a covenant of salt. Leviticus 2.13. So salt being used even within the sacrificial system of God through the old covenant. Second Chronicles 13.5, there's even references to indoor salt chambers. Swiss grooms would put bread in one pocket and salt in the other pocket to be a the hope of a long and prosperous marriage. Uh, German wives would sprinkle some salt in their shoes that this would be a prosperous marriage. Uh, and the spilling of salt became a bad signal that was often seen as superstitious. Matter of fact, if you look at Leonardo da Vinci's great picture of the disciples at the Last Supper, if you look closely, you'll see Judas Iscariot is knocked over the salt shaker. And this is a a picture of something bad about to happen. Symbolized in, in that manner. Seasoned with salt. Full of grace that God calls us to pray faithfully, faith gratefully, cultivate tendency, behave wisely, to maximize opportunity, communicate graciously. And just one last prayer. We have our time invitation. I ran across. Lord, fill my mouth with worthwhile stuff. Then nudge me when I said no. Let's pray. Father, Psalm 139 makes it so clear that you know us. You know when I sit. Turn my going down, my lying down. Familiar with all my ways. Before words on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Lord, if I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, if I settle on the far side of the sea, your word says, even there, your right hand will hold me. He knows, God. You know, it's a. You go a little further, it talks about you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. My frame is not hidden from you and I was woven together in that secret place in the depths of All that. You know us. And so, Father, we just don't need to play games, God. Forget our hearts. 
that we may be honest before you, and when that ugly honesty <laughs> reveals where we are, that we run to you. Because, Father, that's the beauty of the gospel, is when we get real honest with you, you get real honest with us and say, I And we call this invitation. Lord, may we come home this morning. Um, you know where we are. Nobody else in this room may know where I am, but you know where we are. It's time to come home. Bring us home, Lord. That we might be ready to be on the move for you. Anything that may be prohibiting us from being on the move, Lord, to live and live the gospel. Time to get that straight. I pray this invitation we would do that, Lord. And, and this is not about coming down to make uh, church people happy or any preacher happy. No, this is just about having a heart to heart, face to face with the living God. All doors open, Lord. May we come. In Jesus' name, amen.